All right, we're going to ask you to head back to your seats. Love for you to continue this conversation afterwards. Beautiful day today. Go for a walk. Play at the playground with some friends. Our playground is all ages, so any of you can go play at the playground. My name is Drew. I'm the pastor here at Hope Community Church in Columbia Heights. We're, I'm thrilled you're here with me. I just felt this. Yesterday, I got the chance to... Um, help someone put sheathing on there. I just learned that word on their roof to put a roof on a shed. And I thought I'd be cool. And I was like, oh, I can just throw them up there on my own. And then I woke up and I like can't move my arms higher. <laughs> but, uh, but I'm a pretty good friend. Answer that question. I think I'm a pretty good friend because I helped throw oh, such a classic like guys hanging out. And I'm like, oh, I don't need help. I'll just throw sheets of plywood on the roof. It's so dumb. <laughs> Uh, I'm glad that you're here. Hopefully you got to be encouraged by hearing about uh, a great friend or remembering a good friend. Um, I don't have to pick this person, but uh, just a few days ago, I celebrated 16 years uh, with this wonderful lady. She's pro- she would be probably my best friend, but not probably, she would be. Uh, and I don't, I get, you know, people say like, your, your spouse is your best friend. I don't know if that necessarily you have to say that, but she, especially during the last uh, couple years here, we have spent a lot of hours together in our home, and uh, I am really glad I, I married her. This is us. Look at this. She looks the same, and I look very different. Uh, sure, I used to trim my beard all short like this. Not anymore. Uh, hair, what am I doing there? Uh, 16 years ago, we got married in Colorado at uh, uh, in Estes Park and had no clue the journey we'd be on. I, I'd say if you ask why, I'd say... Um, her faithfulness, and not just like she's my wife and I'm glad she's faithful to me, uh, but like tr- her faithfulness in like really all things. Um, she's just there. Like I, there's lots of people that are in your life and there for certain times or certain reasons, but um, she's always there. And I'm thankful for her faithfulness. I'm thankful for our marriage. And um, I had, we had no clue on this day in the way we didn't have a photographer, we just had that was when digital cameras were like new. We like spent all of our money on a like two megapixel camera that was huge, and we uh, bought all these memory cards, and uh, which were all like tiny now, but they seemed huge then. And just had family take like a million pictures, and we hoped a few of them turned out. This is like one of our few wedding <laughs> pictures that we have that turned out. Uh, anyway, and we had no clue like what our story would be, like like that we'd end up with our wonderful girls and our dog, Frank, and, and our hope that our story ends this way. This isn't actually us in the future. If you're, I, someone was like, how did they get that picture? I don't have a time machine, but uh, this is really our, we have moments where, if you've ever had this, like you're at the park and you see an older couple walking and they're like holding hands and you just, you can tell they're like, uh, like arguing and loving each other in the same moment, <laughs> like only the way someone who's been married 50 years can do and that's like our hope that someday this would be us. This would be our story from like our wedding day till uh, we get to walk. In other words, by, I imagine this couple having this moment and then her telling him to shut up like two minutes later <laughs> about something. I just, I just love that, that image of a marriage. I, I share this also because today we get to start a new series in Hosea and it's really the story of a marriage. And, and we're going to get to spend some weeks now really unpacking this book, looking at, at what God has in this book. And today we get to just introduce ourselves to the book and really introduce how do we get to the point of the starting of this book of Hosea. This is an interesting book about a person named Hosea. 
him and his wife, Gomer. And that's how the book starts out, is introducing us to him. So we're just going to go right into it and get ourselves kind of situated in what's happening. Why are we here? How do we get to this moment in the book? So if you have a Bible, you can crack it open if you follow along in, in an actual paper Bible or uh, on your phone. Otherwise, all the scripture will be on the screen that uh, we'll be using today. And this is from Hosea 1. This Hosea is kind of in the middle of your Bible. Um, it's called one of the minor prophets. We're going to get to what that means, um, but it's still in the Old Testament. We haven't gotten to the birth of Jesus yet. It starts this way. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel. There's a lot of names and like hard to pronounce. Like I just, I just confidently blazed through those. I don't know if that's really how you pronounce those names. Um, what is going on there? I noticed that his dad's name is Beery, which is an interesting name. Uh, so our name is Hezekiah. Sounds like a Bible name. Uh, that's a cool name. I don't know what's going on here. So we're going to just take a second to stop. This is just like the introduction to the book saying, hey, this is, the book is about this person who's, and this is happening at this moment. And we don't want to just go, okay, that was a long time ago. But think about why is that important? Why are these names important? First, we start though with this. The word of the Lord came to Hosea. This means that Hosea, we consider a prophet, which is a word maybe you've heard before, maybe not. That word gets thrown around. Um, but what do we mean by that when we say prophet. We say prophet is someone who speaks on behalf of and interprets the will of a supernatural being. For us, as we read scripture, we say, this is a person who's speaking on behalf of God. This isn't a person who's uh, claiming to be God or has some like uh, powers as if they are God. This is a person who's just the voice of God. God is telling them, using them, whether actually in their voice or maybe even in their actions, we're going to see to, to communicate to his people. So even you may have heard like a friend or someone talk about a spiritual gift in the church. They may have like the gift of prophecy. That doesn't mean like they come up with something themselves. That means they just get to speak on behalf of God. They get to get to talk on behalf of God, which was incredible is we have the word of God, which in itself, if you just read it, and if you talk to a friend and say, hey, I, heard, I, I read this in scripture, you are in a sense getting to talk in that way. Um, they often come to rebuke, meaning they say, hey, what you're doing isn't what God calls us to. Sometimes they predict what's going to happen in the future. We see prophets say things about what Jesus will be like that are come true. God uses them for them. Sometimes we even call, uh, they, they use poetry. We'll see that in the book of Hosea. Um, and we even today sometimes see this kind of happening in, in a and I'd say a lowercase p prophet way, like in musicians or poets or artists, sometimes we say those people kind of speak on behalf of like our culture or on what's happening through the way they, they write poetry or create things. Often prophets come in a time when they, we need to be warned, when God needs to be represented and he needs to talk to his people. Now we see these, these come out. Isn't this cool? I just found this. This artist, David uh, Bowman, created this these images for each book of the Bible, but it kind of helps me. This is the order if you go across and then down each line. And we see here a lot of prophets come out. So we see names like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Those are we call, these here we call the major prophets. You may have heard these. We, we, we like to hop to some of these books to see what God is speaking. But then we have these minor prophets here, 
like Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. These are the fun Old Testament names, Obadiah, Jonah. You know Jonah, right? The whale, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah. Zephaniah is one that sometimes if people say Zephaniah, I think like, is that really a Bible? Is that really a book in the Bible? Have you ever done like uh, Bible trivia and someone tries to throw you off with like a Zebediah or a Zosephus or a Zalakai? You just do a Z and then like a Old Testament name. And you always go, oh. And I, every time that happens, someone goes, I think that's one of the minor prophets, even if it's not, right? Because those are ones maybe we're unfamiliar with. Some of these books are very short, but there are moments when God speaks through a person, uses a person, sometimes in a very specific way, say, this thing is happening right now, and I want my people to know this and hear this. And so they speak through this, per- this person. And so uh, Hosea is a minor prophet, and God is going to speak through him, but also in a really pretty profound way, he is going to act out something that God wants his people to know. And something that I think for right now today for us, if we zoom all the way forward, it is really important for us to hear as well. And so he's not only going to use him to speak, but also act out in a way that um, I don't know if Hosea would have ever thought was going to happen. So we back up. So we kind of know a little bit, right? What a prophet is. But then he mentions all these people's names. Beery, his father, which we don't really know much about from uh, history or Scripture, we just, it just mentions, usually in Scripture, it kind of says who the, they're the son of. That's so important, the family line. But it does mention some kings here. It mentions the kings of Judah, and then it mentions the king of Israel, which might be confusing. It isn't, they're just like un-Israel. It was Judah. I've heard of like the line of Judah. It mentions these four kings, and then it mentions just Jeroboam, the king of Israel. Well, we know historically that there were, was this period of time when Jeroboam reigned for 40 years as king. Imagine a one person ruling as king for 40 years, like a, I mean, it's like a generation of people, the same person. And then these different kings reigned throughout that same period. But I think it's really important in order to understand what God's going to ask Hosea to do, we need to understand really the history and what led us up to this moment and really kind of the soap opera that's happening, the the craziness that's happening in this moment that he says, hey, Jose, I'm going to ask you to do something. Isn't just a random time. There's a lot going on all around him and in the world and lots of things led up to that. So what I want us to do is we're going to take a second just to zoom out, kind of look at all of the Bible from the beginning all the way to the end and think through like, what, where is this landing What's so important? Whenever God lists those things in Scripture, those, all those names and when it's happening, there's something important, right? We want to know why and when that's happening. And so we're going to look now at that. What's one thing that's really important, I think, for this book is to understand the Bible starts and ends, I like guess starts and ends with a wedding. So we hear a lot about wedding and marriage in this book. And so we get to start with the wedding of two people and we get to end with the wedding of God and his people. We start in Genesis with a wedding. God has created things. He says they're good. He's created the earth and the animals and the sky and the oceans and all of it. And then he creates man. And he says, man, it's not good for this man, Adam, to just be alone. Amen to that. And so uh, he then creates man. If, if you've heard this story, he puts Adam to sleep. And then while Adam's asleep, he takes one of his ribs out 
and creates woman from the ribs. So there's this, uh, this like compliment to him. This is side by side, this person who's like his other half, he creates. And then, and then Adam wakes up and he sees Eve, this woman, and this is what he says. He like writes a song. This is the first love song of, of all time. I won't sing it. I'll just say the lyrics, but this is the first song. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she is taken out of man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So God creates this man and this woman and brings them together. He actually, the first marriage is actually like physically part of the same body. And Adam's just overwhelmed. Oh my goodness. He gave me this woman. This is incredible. And then we are reminded, which you see this, this passage a few other times in scripture, it says, this man and woman come together. They're married. They become united. They become one flesh. So if, you, if you're married, if you've been to a wedding, you might've heard language like this. There's this, this mystery that happens, this incredible thing that God brings two people together in marriage. It's not just like, hey, you two decided to like hang out. But God does something that before God and before people, you say, no, we're going to commit to each other. And you become this one flesh, this one unit. So, so you're, you're unified, you're connected. They become one. And then it says they were both naked and they felt no shame. So there's this, this place when things first started, this first wedding, they became completely vulnerable and aware of each other and transparent to each other and authentic to each other. And there was no shame. Like the person fully knew the other person. Adam fully knew Eve. Eve fully knew him. And there wasn't any shame about it. There was no hiding or being scared or, or feeling any of that. It's incredible, right? This first wedding is this magical, incredible, beautiful thing. And then God's people, Adam and Eve, decide to turn from God and so we start a history of God's people. After the honeymoon, they come back and they decide they're going to turn from God. And so we have this history then of God's people as we kind of zoom out. We zoomed into that, that little moment, but now we zoom out and we see God's people turning to things other than God. We see them turning to other people, maybe approve, I'll do whatever I need to, to make that person happy, to obey that person so maybe approval or a person becomes a thing we turn our attention to, our focus to, our obedience, our worship to. Or maybe it's just uh, our own feelings or our heart, how things feel. We just turn our, our hearts towards ourselves and how we feel. We just follow our hearts and not the heart of God. Or, or God's people we see historically follow just even their own foolish ideas, thinking they're smarter than God or just maybe power. And so here's how we see that happen in the story of God. God does create his people in the beginning. He made this world that was wonderful. It was beautiful and perfect. And God placed humanity in his world. He was with his people and he loved his people and his people loved him and they were together and it was good. We just heard about this first wedding and then things went downhill. They rejected God's love. They turned from him. They became unfaithful to him we as people walked away from this relationship with our God. And as a result, the world was cursed and humanity became, came under God's judgment. We now had this, this adultery that we had committed as we turned away and became unfaithful and turned to others as our, as our number one loves. We really made a mess of this relationship with God. 
and really our relationship with one another and all things. But God had a plan to create a renewed world with his renewed people. He came to a man named Abram and promised that he, would, uh, that he could become his people, a people that were blessed by God. In fact, he changed his name to Abraham, which means father of many. You may have heard this story. He stood Abraham under the stars and he mentions uh, him as he looks at the sand and the seashore and he says, this is how great your family will be one day with me. That many will number that many. Like all the stars or all the sand on the seashore. It can't even be counted. And this is what happened. As God continued to pursue his people, even though they took these detours and turned to others, God kept following him. Abraham's family did become a nation. He had his son Isaac, and Isaac had his son Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons. That's a lot. And those sons became the descendants of this nation. God actually gave Jacob a new name, which was Israel. And so that nation was called Israel, and it had 12 tribes, these groups within the nation that descended from Jacob's 12 sons. Okay, we're getting, there's a lot of history here, right? Just keep following. Each of those descended from Jacob called Israel. Now to escape a famine, God's people ran to Egypt. So as a nation, they moved to Egypt, all 12 tribes together. At first, they were very welcomed in Egypt, and it was great. But over time, the people of Egypt enslaved the, God's people, Israel. This is maybe one of the most famous stories in all of Scripture. Enslaved by Israel and the Pharaoh, God's people cried out to have mercy on them, and our faithful God rescued them. He used a man named Moses to lead them out. Remember the story led them to the Red Sea and they thought there was no hope. They were cornered, but then God made a way. He opened the sea and rescued his people, continuing to follow his people even when they could be unfaithful to him. He says, you will be my people and I will be your God. I'm still your God. But even as he rescued them, not long after they passed through that Red Sea, Moses turns from the people for a moment to get more word from God and they create golden idols. They actually melt down the jewelry that they have and they make golden calves, like literally golden animals that they start worshiping. Moses leaves and comes back and goes, hey, what's up? We still worshiping God? And they're like, no, now we have these golden calves. Oh my goodness, how quick the people turn become unfaithful. And God then still gives his people Israel the land of Canaan, the, the land that today we would call Palestine. And their greatest king was David, who gave his people peace and prosperity, sometimes called the golden age of God's people. This time where things, people were becoming wealthy and they were building cities. Everything seemed to be going really well. There was, in fact, so much prosperity that people, some people didn't have to work so much. They could spend their time thinking about things and creating new things and inventing things. It truly was this golden age. And David had a son named Solomon. He was very famous for his wisdom. Also famous for marrying many foreign wives and following foreign gods, turning his allegiance from God to other things, really kind of following in the history 
of his many, many forefathers in being unfaithful to his God. Solomon actually eventually enslaved his people all over again. A kind of like when they were in Egypt and the Pharaoh enslaved them, now their own leader had enslaved them, forced them to work on his building projects. Now, if we continue to follow this family, Solomon was succeeded by his son, Rehoboam, and Rehoboam extended his slave program as he continued his reign. This led to a rebellion by a leader named Jeroboam. So we have Rehoboam and Jeroboam. They don't like each other. And in the year 930 BC, now we're going to start zooming in again. We're getting close to Hosea's time. In the year 930 BC, the 12 tribes of Israel divided into two kingdoms. Aren't those great illustrations? (laughs) These just look like classic Sunday school pictures. Those guys, those beards. Um, So in 930 BC, we're almost to Hosea. We're almost there, friends. The 12 tribes actually divided into 10 tribes and two tribes. So Jeroboam took 10 of the tribes north, calling themselves Israel. And then Rehoboam took two tribes to Judah. Now Judah is where the capital Jerusalem was. This is where their center of worship was. And so because uh, Jeroboam in the north didn't want his people to come down into Judah, he created places of worship actually within his own area. The problem was that he created two places of worship and they actually built golden statues to come and worship. It wasn't like he was creating a new way to worship Yahweh. It was a way to worship different gods. This became a problem, as you could guess. And we actually see in the southern, you'd hope in the southern region in Judah, they'd say, hey, we're going to continue to worship God in in Jerusalem, but it didn't. Idolatry ran rampant everywhere. There were idols created and temples created, and people continued to worship things other than God throughout the land. Now, there were five kings after Jeroboam came into power, And none of them stopped this idolatry. They continued it. And eventually in the year 880 BC, after five years of civil war, this dynasty was created and they continued to be cruel and wicked to the people. There was a divide amongst the people. There was very wealthy people with all the power and they enslaved much of the other people and also continued to kind of have a state-run worship of idols that were not God. But a guy named Omri had a son named Ahab. And Ahab had many palaces. And he won in Jezreel. And it was there that he actually wanted, here's a picture of uh, Ahab. This is an actual photograph here on the left that was taken at the time. So I love these old pictures. Um, Ahab had a wife named Jezebel. You might've heard the name Jezebel. It's a common name used and associated with a woman historically that was synonymous with idolatry, spiritual adultery, act just adultery. And they actually made it like the thing to worship Baal or Baal, this B-A-A-L, which was often a statue of a bull. It takes different forms, 
but a statue of like a bull-like creature, a lot like we saw them worship right after they were rescued from the Red Sea. So Ahab and Jezebel, as they ran this region, continued to point people not to God, but to other actual statues to worship. Baal is a word that means Lord or master. Some people even think that word just is the general word historically for like worshiping things other than God. Just they told him to worship things other than God as their master or Lord or actually the name Baal or Baal. They were pretty ruthless. Ahab at one point really wanted this vineyard. And so he accused the owner of something that then led to the murder of the owner so that he could have a vineyard. This is the kind of leader he was, and they were. Now, this worship actually was talked about. We see this in different books, and in the book of Kings, First uh, Kings, and the book of Isaiah, we hear references to these, this same history. And this is kind of the history of the people, taking what they want, having who they want murdered, gathering wealth any way they could, forcing people to worship things other than God, and then Ahab was succeeded. He had some kids named Haziah and Joran. But God raised up an army against him by Yehu to, to bring him down. And you think, good, God finally kind of is maybe trying to take care of this people. But these new leaders that he raised up ended up taking all of Ahab's family and beheading them all 70 of his grandsons and bring them to their, their town to like hold them, to show everyone, hey, we've defeated them. So God, again, has his people turn from him. There's this season of death and murder as people try to take power and take over. And then we get to the time that was referenced here in the beginning of Hosea. This is also my favorite picture of Jezebel. Isn't this the wildest? <laughs> ah! The of her. And so we finally get to the moment we're at. A lot of history of people turning from God for all different reasons, hurting one another, worshiping other things. New leaders raised up over and over in hopes that they would be the one who would turn God's people back to God that they would see this prosperity that God's given them and say, oh Lord, you've given us so much. How could we be a blessing to those around us? But they continue just to grab for more and more and more. And then we get to a time where Jehu's succeeded by his son and his grandson and his great-grandson. And finally we see Jeroboam, who's referenced in this passage we're looking at. These four generations of his family ruling over Israel, continuing to worship Baal. A few of them for a season saying, hey, we should turn back to Yahweh. Isn't he our God? Isn't he the one we're called to be faithful to? He's been so faithful to us. But then the next son in line says, eh, let's turn back to Baal. Or let's turn to a different idol. Or let's just turn to our own wisdom we're seeing such success and such prosperity. It must be because of us. And so in a time that is sometimes called the second golden age of God's people, where there's extreme prosperity and peace, 
there seems to be people doing pretty well. Cities being built, new technology being designed, thinking, wow, the world has not been a better place than it is right now. We also see one of the lowest spiritual lows in God's people. And so one day, God calls a man named Hosea. He says, Hosea, son of Beeri. Hey, I know that you live during this time of these kings of Judah and this king of Israel. These, these kings who have this long history with their families of murder and taking what they want and leading people away from me. I have something I want you to tell them. And so you could guess, right, what he's going to do. He's going to say, hey, get up on top of a big stone thing, maybe a giant stone block, and tell them to stop. S-T-O-P. Stop. Stop doing this stuff. Just say, hey, God told me to tell you stop doing it, right? God gives him a pretty incredible action to take. And here's what God tells him. The Lord speaks to Hosea and he says this. I love this. It's not like a, hey, let me explain what's going on. He just says this. Go marry a promiscuous woman. This also is translated a woman of many lovers or an adulterous woman. Go marry this woman of many lovers and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. Hosea is the story of a prophet being commanded to marry an adulterous wife. That's wild. Why would God do this? Why would he? I don't think he's a fan of that. When I got married, I don't remember like going through premarital and they're like, hey, sometimes God wants you to be adulterous, right? That was pretty, pretty clear. The faithfulness thing was pretty clear. Why would God command a prophet to marry a woman who he knows has been and will be unfaithful to him? Well, it says right here. Because you're going to get to act out in your life what's happening in my relationship with my people. You're going to get to show them what it looks like to have a husband who continues to pursue a wife even as she turns away and turns away and turns away. Tim Chester says it like this as we see the story continue to, to Hosea and Gomer. We're going to learn her name is Gomer. He says like this, in the message of Hosea, we see the passion of God. We see the jealousy of God the commitment of God, the heartbreak of God, the enthusiasm of God, and the love of God. Now hear this. People often talk about what they feel about God. Here's what we get to do, friends. Hosea tells us what God feels about us. God says to Hosea, I want my people to understand how I feel about them, even as they turn away from me, as they're very unfaithful to me. I don't want them to get confused that I'm the kind of God who says, oh, you've been unfaithful. You can find another God. Yeah, go, go stay with your golden bull. I don't care. You haven't been good to me. He says, no, no, no. I want them to see what it looks like in your life to continue to love and pursue someone even when they've been unfaithful to you, which is what these people have done to me. That's what we get to do. We could just spend some time being reminded of this idea and not just reminded of, of uh, how we think about God, but ultimately what God thinks about us. I think um, for me personally, when I open the word, 
of God, I often can say, okay, what does this have for me? What's the next step I have to take? Can you solve my problem? Can I read a passage that tells me what to do about this thing I have going on? What does the passage say about me? And so that's because the culture we live in it tells us over and over, it's whatever you're doing or saying or whoever you're talking to, we got to make it about you and turn it towards you. And the book of Hosea is saying, no, no, stop. This book is going to tell us what God thinks about us. That we're unfaithful, but he's still here. That we're adulterous, but he still loves us. And why is that important? Tim Chester says like this, it is the author's prayer that we explore the message of Hosea, the spirit of God would reveal God's passion, right? So that we would understand who God is, his passion for us, his faithfulness to us. And that would stir our passion, our jealousy for God, our commitment to God, our heartbreak at sin, our enthusiasm to serve and our love for the lost. That, that would fill us, that we know who God is and the deep love he has for us and the faithfulness he has for us and the hatred of this sin, but the, the pursuit he still has for us, the forgiveness he has for us. That would fill us and we'd grow in that and then we would overflow this, that we'd become people who are committed to God and enthusiastic to serve and that we would also have a love for those two who are lost. Here's how, this is, this is really important. Here's how, I, visually, this is how I, I see this work. We have to understand who God is, what, what he thinks about us and everything, and just even the character of who he is, which then, oh, look at how, that did not work. And then <laughs> that informs us of who the people of God are. Not the other way, not like, here's the people of God, and that's who God is, but who God is, and that core then permeates out to who we are, which then permeates out to our actions. That says actions and feelings and behavior. Or like this, this might be an easier way to see this. We understand who God is first. That's what the gospel is. We understand how God has pursued us even when we were sinners. And then that tells me who I am. And then out of that, I act. So for instance, it might be, God, even though I am unfaithful, ungrateful at times, a lot of time, I have a God who still doesn't leave because I've been unfaithful, pursues me which then means I am, I know that I drew him loved. I don't get to decide that. I'm loved. I don't get to say, Drew, you are so unlovable because God has told me I'm loved. And then out of that changes how I act. I don't pursue love or grasp at anyone who will show me love and, and, and all my actions don't come as so I can grab love or get people to love me because I've already had that. That's already filled me. And so understanding who God is told me that I'm loved, which now changes actually how I interact with people, how, I, how my day goes. Because I'm not grasping for like approval or love from people. Hypothetically, that could happen to me. That happens to me. Now here's the other way it could work. We could decide, I'm going to decide what I do. What I do then dis, decides who I am. So my action decided who Drew is. And then who I am then decides what God is like. So I could say, I am unfaithful to friends sometimes. Even in this maybe a small way, like, hey, I'll be there. Didn't work out. I'm not going to be there. So then Drew is a person who is unfaithful. Or maybe that's a strong word. Not always reliable. So that's now my identity is I'm unreliable because my action then 
decided who I was. And so then that, for me then, tells me who maybe God is. It might be God is angry because he doesn't like someone who's unfaithful. Or maybe I just say, well, if, I'm, if I don't follow through, I bet God probably doesn't follow through. And so now I've decided who God is because of who I am. So th- this over here is just religion. We just do stuff that changes who we are, which then tells God what to do. This is going to the temple and saying, hey, here's some money to, to a golden statue. I'm going to give you this thing. I'm going to take this action, which means now I gave you something. I'm a giver. Now you owe me. And now this is what kind of God you need to be for me. But the book of Hosea is calling us to say, no, no, we're going to learn who God is. As we open scripture, who is God? And that tells us who we are, which then changes what we do, changes how we feel, changes our day, our outlook, because we don't get to decide. The God who's perfect and holy and who knows us and who is faithful to us gets to decide that thing. And so we see our history here as we look at Hosea. We're to this point of God's people being unfaithful. And now we're going to see that acted out. What does that look like to have a faithful husband towards an unfaithful wife. But I told you in the beginning, there was this beginning and end of scripture that has a wedding. What is the wedding at the end? As we wrap up here, what does the end of, of it look like? Well, it looks like this. In Revelation, the end of the Bible, we hear Jesus comes back and we hear the same language. And now it's not about Adam and Eve, it's about God and his people. Let's rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean was given for her to wear. Do you hear this? this is God comes and his bride meets him. That's us. God's people. And we have fine linen and we're bright and we're clean. We've made, been made righteous. I saw the holy city in, in Revelation 21. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. At the end of time, we get presented to God as his bride. Very different than this moment that we see in Hosea, this moment where God says, hey, you are like adulterous, like an adulterous wife. And I want to show you what a loving husband should do towards that husband. I want to show you that I am this faithful husband. So how do we get, how do we get to that point where we're presenting for God? That's a very different moment. This righteous, beautiful, clean and pure wife is presented to her husband at the end? Well, right, the answer, as always is, is Jesus. A baby comes not long after this story in a manger. It's God. It comes to us. He says, you're never going to get this right. You're never going to be totally faithful to me. Your hearts are broken and dark and they turn from me. There's sin. And it's not going to be taken care of unless I come take care of it. So he comes in a manger he dies on a cross, rescues us from sin, and makes a way for us to be faithful to our God. And that is through our worship and our turning to Jesus. And so one day we do get there. And we're reminded that Christ came not because we became faithful brides, but because we continue to be unfaithful and he became faithful. You see, just at the right time, we are still powerless Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still 
wives of many lovers, Christ came and took care of that and died on a cross to take our punishment for our adulterous ways so that we could be made right and stand before our husband, our good and faithful husband. That's a story we get to look at, friends, for the next few weeks. The story of our faithful husband and how he's come to rescue us and still cares for us and is faithful to us. And that can change us so we can turn and be faithful to him through Christ. As Jordan comes up, we're going to take an opportunity to sing and, and worship that God together now. A couple things I want you to consider as we worship, things to reflect on. Do you know that Jesus pursued us while we were unfaithful? Maybe that's just today, that's all you need to hear and think about. Do you feel like, I am not very great. There's no way God wants to be close to me. He did actually come to rescue. And then how do you think God feels about you? Is that true? Or how would you even know if that's true? Do, do you have opportunities to look at the word of God? Or maybe who helps you know how God feels about you? Do you have someone who can help you think through that? I, the, I think God thinks this. And if that isn't true about what God thinks about you, that's going to change who you think you are. And that's going to change your feelings and your behavior, what life looks like for you. So who helps you, reminds you of what God actually thinks about you? And then who do you know that needs to know this good news? There's someone this week that you will encounter. There's someone in your family. Maybe it's just a close friend that needs to be reminded that God continues to pursue us even as we are unfaithful to him. We pray for us and then we're gonna just sing together uh, and worship this good God. Lord, thank you for your goodness, your kindness, your faithfulness to us. Thank you for uh, this moment in history that you gave us. A long time ago, you asked a man named Hosea to marry a woman of many lovers, an unfaithful wife, in order to remind us of your deep love and faithfulness to us and remind us of our sinful unfaithfulness to you. I pray, Lord, that you would work in our hearts, that we would turn back to you, that we would be reminded of how good you are, that we'd want to pursue you and love you, that you'd change us in that. Thank you for your goodness. Thanks that we get to worship you today right here. Pray this in your good name. Amen.